pornography at 11 years old and that sense of what's going on inside of me is too dirty, too bad to talk about. And if people knew what was going on inside, they would reject me. I had a lot of anger toward myself because I wasn't living up to my own expectations, much less what I figured were God's expectations of me now that I'm a Christian. Right, okay. Right? And so it was a lot of self-effort, uh, workspace righteousness attempts, and, and feeling like a failure all the time. There's also a role that community plays. Mm, yes. There's also a role that others play that God refuses to make up the slack for um, and in most cases, and, and also that he doesn't allow us to get by without. I always knew he loved me because he is love, but I thought like, oh, he doesn't like the fact that he's stuck with me. I, um, when I would read passages like that, or even the Romans um, 8 passage about there being no condemnation, those passages used to really infuriate me about um, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I got to such a place where I felt God isn't kind, that God isn't paying attention to me, or, and maybe it's not that he's not kind, but it's not toward me, maybe everybody else, you know, he loves or whatever. So there could be some others that are, that that really torques them. And sure. I just want to say, if you're one of those, like I relate to that. Don't know if you relate to that yeah. as much. Oh yeah. Okay. But yeah. we relate to that and realize that at one time that seems so far from our own experience of being able to even be loved by God. So much of it was about earning God's love in many ways. I'm not just forgiven, but I've been brought from death to life. I've been transferred from the kingdom of uh, darkness to the kingdom of the son he loves, Colossians 1 says. And that transformation is amazing. Well, hey, everybody, it is great to have you with us for another episode of the Love and Truth Network podcast. So whether you're tuning in through Love and Truth Network or through Transforming Congregations, we're excited that you're here with us. And also, I think this is going to be my very last podcast that we're doing from the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference. It's been a great time. Obviously, you've been hearing that there's some noise in the background and some bubbling in the background. It's been a, a really full time, uh, lots of great conversations and uh, praying with people, talking with people, sharing our our resources. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. It's also been fun to get reconnected with people that I've known for quite a long time that I don't see except for events like this, as well as meeting new people. So today is one of those opportunities. Uh, Dan Stude and I have known each other for, gosh, it's probably a decade 10, at 15, least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we got to know each other when I lived back in upstate New York and you lived there and both of us have moved since that time. Yes. Uh, and it was a church, I think, that had reached out to me that you were on staff with at the time that was looking for some um, opportunity to kind of dialogue around some of the issues that we do with oftentimes in terms of human sexuality and gender identity issues. And and it was at that point that you and I first met and then there's been future, you know, other connections beyond that. So, yep. uh, and right now, uh, Dan, what are you, what's your title? What's your role within the ministry that you're leading? Certainly. Well, I serve uh, with Freedom in Christ Ministries USA. Uh, I serve as the president, so I oversee all operations in the U.S. Yes. Uh, I've been in this position for almost four and a half years now, though uh, I'll share in my story how I've been impacted by the ministry. It was almost 30 years ago now. That's great. That God started to transform my life using these principles. Awesome. Well, actually, would you dive in and kind of share when you came to faith and kind of what life was a bit before then and and how Jesus has transformed things and also how freedom in Christ has impacted you. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in a Christian family, wonderful home in the country, going to church all the time, you know, right from the start. Um, but, uh, you know, we really didn't talk about God or faith or what that meant in day-to-day -day life outside of our time at church. And, um, it was, I was about 12 years old or so when, uh, an uncle died um, and then actually a 15-year-old down the street rode his bike out uh, into the street and was killed, hit, hit and killed by a car. 
And it just made me think, you know, when my uncle died, I thought, well, he's old. He was about 33. Right, right. You know, so, which is not very yes. old. Um, but uh, when this 15-year-old uh, was hit and killed, I thought, man, how often do I ride my bike out? And so it made me really think. And I grew up in a great church that preached the gospel, at least told me, hey, there's a hell. I don't want to go there. Jesus uh, is love, and he uh, sacrificed himself on the cross so I could be forgiven and go to heaven when I die. So I wanted that. I wanted that security of knowing. So at 12 years old, my dad walked me through my last few questions, and I prayed to trust Jesus as my Savior. So I knew I was forgiven, but I didn't know how to live it out in the day-to-day. And, you know, I sometimes joke with people that though I was saved, I was really bad at being good. (laughs) And uh, so I I didn't like myself very much as a result of that, Uh, especially through my teen years and on into my 20s, actually. I had a lot of anger toward myself because I wasn't living up to my own expectations, much less what I figured were God's expectations of me now that I'm a Christian. Right. Okay. And so it was a lot of self-effort. Uh, workspace righteousness attempts and and feeling like a failure all the time. All of that, of course, combined with what so many American teenagers, what teenagers around the world are exposed to, which was pornography at 11 years old. And that sense of what's going on inside of me is too dirty, too bad to talk about. And if people knew what was going on inside, they would reject me, you know? And so all of that was swirling around inside um, and I just wasn't sure what to do with it or how to grow past that until I came across the materials from Freedom in Christ. Mm-hmm. Neil Anderson's so, work. Yep, yeah. yep, Neil Anderson's work, Victory of the Darkness, The Bondage Breaker, and another four or five dozen yeah, books. Exactly, <laughs> he's written a couple. He yeah. has, yeah. Yeah, so... You know, basically, though, in seminary, I was a youth pastor. Halfway through seminary, 94, 95, a buddy and I became accountability partners. And he said, well, why don't we study these new books? You know, I guess they were about five years old at the time. And um, it's Victory Over the Darkness and The Bondage Breaker. And so I started getting into these, these books and taking them apart and really thinking, wow. I've never seen it put together in this way. And now it makes sense. How how do I repent? How do I walk by faith? What does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? I'm not just forgiven, but I've been brought from death to life. I've been transferred from the kingdom of uh, darkness to the kingdom of the son he loves, Colossians 1 says. And that transformation is amazing. And, um, and... I had never factored in the lies of the enemy that were holding me back. So, for example, just a few minutes ago, I said, you know, I thought that what was going on inside is too dirty to talk about. If I share it, I will be rejected. Right. Well, 1 John chapter 1, verse uh, 7 says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Right? And so I had to recognize how Satan's a liar and the father of lies, Jesus said. Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. His word is truth. And when we know the truth, it sets us free. Right? And so coming to realize, wait, there is this freedom that I can have as I walk in the light because of what Jesus has done, because of who he has made me to be. Then I can, then I can stay connected to him. I'm not, I can stay connected to others and I'm not constantly trying to escape the pain in my own soul right. that yes. my sin has created. Absolutely. Well, it's so powerful. And one of the things when you quote that verse out of 1 John 1, 7, you know, the, if we think about the idea, as you said, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So the reality is, is most Christians are not walking in the light. Yes. Most Christians are walking either in darkness or in shadow. And, 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 but yet thinking that or fooling ourselves into believing that we actually are having fellowship because we say hello and whatever on a Sunday morning, you know, and shake somebody's hand. But, you know, genuine fellowship necessitates 
vulnerability. It necessitates walking the light. It, is, it necessitates being known. And the, the lies that come, you know, temptation, uh, Satan's temptation uh, uh, and lies to us about staying silent if they only knew our own, our own fleshly fear of all that, that really conspires against us to keep us in that place of not walking the light so that we, we are genuinely having fellowship. And I, and also I, I've been a firm believer for a long time that in genuine fellowship, like when, where our emotional needs are being met, where our emotional, um, uh, emptiness is being filled up by genuine and authentic relationship, brothers and, and, and some, you know, for, and, and certainly among sisters, a band of brothers, band of sisters, kind of an idea when that's happening, it's not that temptation still doesn't, of course, temptation still happens. There's still the reality of lust, but there's a, there's a much easier way of saying no to sin when I'm emotionally filled up versus when I'm empty. And that's yes. where most Christians I think are. Yes. Yeah. Cause how many people you know, may even argue in the, in the way, in the car, on the way to church yes. or be yelling at their kids to right. get in the car. And then they put on a happy face as yes. soon as they get out of the car. I know their kids are like, parking what? Lot. You know, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's so confusing for them. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of stuff was confusing for me too yes. at home, growing up, seeing Seeing the anger, not having healthy emotional modeling or or teaching, um, yeah. There's so much that that comes to mind as we talk about that true, authentic community. Um, but you know, part of what we hear as people go through the steps to freedom, which is our prayer process, and again, we we partner the teaching of what does it mean to be a new creation in Christ. How do I fight the battle for the mind? You know, the spiritual battle of truth versus deception. Uh, And we pair that with this prayer process called the Steps to Freedom in Christ that really we're just inviting God, dear Heavenly Father, would you reveal to my mind the things in all these particular areas that are hindering my intimacy with you, that are lies that are causing me to relate to you or others in unhealthy and unproductive ways. And it's amazing how many times people will say to us in that process or afterward, I've never told anyone X, Y, or Z before, right? And that's, that's part of that, that staying hidden in darkness or keeping at least a portion of ourselves hidden. And for me, part of what that translated to was thinking, well, people, people won't like me if they know this about me. And it was honestly not until I had a brother who knew everything about me and continued to like me and love me as a friend and relate to me in healthy ways that honestly I could say, well, maybe God can do that too. Because I always knew he loved me because he is love, but I thought like, oh, he doesn't like the fact that he's stuck with me, right? But the fact is, I mean, like Zephaniah 3 says, not only is he a mighty warrior who's able to save, but he delights over us so much that it just makes him sing. And that's fantastic. Like he just bursts into song at the joy of relationship with us. And I just, I mean, it chokes me up even just thinking about that. That's phenomenal. I mean, that is such a transformed thought from when I was stuck in my sin and trying to deal with it on my own because I didn't think God even wanted to be near me. Right. I'm so dirty. Yeah, Yeah, I'm so dirty. I'm so Mm -hmm. disgusting that he can't even stand to be around me. But the truth is, no, because of Jesus, because what Jesus has done, I'm accepted, I'm secure, I'm significant in not only just in the eyes of the father you know the king of the universe who knows all but really eternally forgiven and and redeemed and new and and I, that's who i am today and i'll get to enjoy that both now and on forever into eternity but it doesn't mean it do, it's not that i have to wait until heaven to enjoy that relationship. And it's only when I stay connected in relationship with him that he, then it's his power 
that enables me to overcome the sin. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, one, one thing, and I know I'm talking a lot no, here, no, it's but great. one of the things that I learned, too, is there really are some people that can't handle these kinds of heavy topics or don't respond or react well to it. Let me put it that way. Maybe they haven't dealt with their own stuff, and so they don't know what to do with it. Um, there are others that are just going to be critical or uh, not handle it in a healthy way. So we have to learn who can I trust. Right. Right. We yes. don't want to be indiscriminately sharing our deepest stuff with people that we don't know if they're going to be trustworthy with it. Right. But that doesn't mean they're not out there. And we need to refuse to give up both on the Lord that he is trustworthy with our deepest uh, hurts our deepest struggles, but there there are also other people who are wanting to be on that journey with yeah, us. Right, absolutely. I, I mean, everything that you're sharing, even about your own story, there's so many principles, so many not just principles, but themes that are very similar to my own upbringing, and uh, even the you know the church attendance and all of that, and and also uh, very much growing up in a sense of of lots of do's and don'ts, yes. more don'ts than do's, frankly. Yeah. But uh, and just feeling like this is what it means to the Christian life is not doing naughty things essentially like right. that's the pinnacle of the Christian life was my perspective yep. and and it, it was a, a long um, uh, process of God really sifting me uh, and, and, and helping me understand that there's so much more. It's not that he's not a just God. It's not that he uh, he does hate sin, um, but he also loves, he doesn't just love justice, he loves mercy. And, and, and he also wants to bring us, as you're saying, not just putting a tweak on our fleshly behavior, but rather really this metamorphosis of transformation where we're not just, another phrase that I was thinking when you were talking earlier is we're, I've often heard growing up in the church, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And the truth is that's completely unbiblical. We are so much, yes, we are we are saints who now struggle, struggle with sin. It's not that we don't still have a capacity in our flesh to sin and that we don't struggle with it, but we have been changed from uh, darkness to light, we've been changed from uh, children that are, are those who are against God, enemies of God, to those who are now adopted into his kingdom, right? So just having that perspective, it's not like, it's not splitting hairs. It's not like, oh, that's just a play on words or it's on a, it's it's kind of unimportant. It's radically important in terms of who I am and my sense of identity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we go into that and we teach how it's about 300 times in the New Testament that the word sinner refers to the unbeliever. Yeah. And right. it's almost 200 times that the word hagias or holy one, which we translate in most, most Bibles as saints, refers to the believer, the one who's new in Christ, right? We've been set apart yes. unto him. Yes. And again, it's it's all by his work, right? Yep. Romans 5, 1, since then we have been justified, right? That, that work of Christ applied to us, by faith we receive it. We are justified, forgiven, new creations, right with God. And, and that's really, it's a true and real present reality. It's not a future, maybe I'll get there if I'm good enough, which is, again, we wouldn't say it that way in church, but a lot of people operate that way. And so, uh, yeah, Romans 8.1 is one of my favorite verses, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that word condemnation is, is that the word for judgment. Right, Jesus took all my punishment, all my judgment. I, I, I can't, I can't punish myself or hate myself or, or to make up for the bad things that I do, which is what I, how I used to operate. It's really by faith I say, Jesus, I trust that you have paid for my sin. Romans six one. Should I go on sinning so grace may increase? Absolutely not. Why would I want to take care or, or take advantage of this new love relationship, right? But, but Paul continues on in that Romans 6 passage, I've died to sin. How can I live in it any longer? Now, I am the slave to the one I obey. And I do have, you know, verse 11 says, so I count myself dead to sin and I offer myself 
my body as an instrument of righteousness. But verse 14 says, sin is no longer my master because I'm not under the law, right? That can I live up to a standard? Can I perform well enough? Can I do enough service? I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And that's why sin's not my master, because of the grace of God. And I receive that and I live in that and from that stable position instead of trying to achieve it. Absolutely. So. That's so good. You know, I as you were sharing earlier about the Zephaniah passage, when I was growing up in church, I mean, later on, not when I was a little, little kid, but when I had gotten to a place of really feeling so much shame about the sexual abuse that happened to me as a kid, the early pornography exposure, and then and then my own participation in chronic masturbation and, and pornography addiction and other things, I... Um, when I would read passages like that, or even the Romans um, 8 passage about there being no condemnation, those passages used to really infuriate me. Uh, or even Romans 2, that uh, I think it's verse 4, about um, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I got to such a place where I felt, for me, what part of what happened with me is that I developed you know, same-sex attraction, and I realized that pretty early on, and I began to really pray and, and ask and beg for God to take that away, and after years of time, it just felt like, I mean, nothing was happening. If anything, it was only becoming stronger, and and so I, I just, I felt like God isn't kind, that God isn't paying attention to me, or, and maybe it's not that he's not kind, but it's not toward me, maybe everybody else, you know, he loves or whatever. So, so for anyone, you know, listening, watching this podcast, there may be some that really their hearts resonate with what the scriptures are saying in Zephaniah about God rejoicing over us with singing and, and, um, and being a mighty warrior on our behalf in so many ways. And, but there could be some others that are, that, that really torques them. And I just want to say, if you're one of those, like, I really, relate to that. Don't know if you relate to that as much. Oh yeah. Okay. But we relate to that and realize that at one time that seems so far from our own experience of being able to even be loved by God, feeling, uh, feeling that, um, so much of it was about earning God's love in many ways. And, uh, so for those that might be feeling that way or thinking that I just want to encourage them in our conversation that, that we get it but the Lord is after them to reveal who he really is as opposed to who Satan and, and, and sometimes the church misrepresents God some some aspects of the church I don't think intentionally but we've experienced some some negative things from the church or from Christians and we overlay that onto well this must this is who God right. is right, right. thoughts yeah. about that yes a lot of thoughts I'll try and organize them and make sense but part of what um Part of my identification with what you're saying is I I prayed for years that God would take away my desire, my lustful desires, right? Now, he didn't do that, yep. which I'm grateful for because that's <laughs> yes, part right, of how right. he made me as, as a man, yes. as, as, as one who's created a human male in, in his image. Um, but part of what we teach is that 2 Corinthians chapter 1 passage that, that talks about what's God's responsibility and what is our responsibility, right? And a lot of times I wanted God to do what he had given me as my responsibility to do. And I was trying to do his work, you know? So that second Peter passage says, God has given us everything necessary for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who loved us and gave himself for us. Therefore, add to our faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, kindness, you know, love. And if you do these things and they're increasing, he says, you'll never fail. You won't fall. That's, that's mind boggling to me. But that, that whole idea of what has God done and what is he calling me to do? So part of what comes to mind too in this is that that interplay of the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Those sources of temptation. The world is constantly saying, oh, this will fulfill you. This will meet your needs. This will help you feel accepted. This will make you be secure, right? Or even that significance. And we, we tie that all back to Adam and Eve in the garden. God, God made us with those legitimate needs, those attributes became 
unfulfilled desires that we then tried to meet in our own independent ways after the fall. But then the world, the flesh and the devil. And so just to tie it up with a, a story, at 11 years old, I was in my grandpa's basement and I had a, one of his magazines of pornography. I really was curious at that point. I had never seen anything like that. I didn't know all this stuff existed, but in the, the phase of life I was at 11, that, that prepubescent period of life, these, these interests and urges are starting to develop and I'm seeing this and all of a sudden I realize my aunt is standing looking over my shoulder. I was so innocent. I literally was sitting in a chair with my back to the door. Not even thinking about like, but it was in that moment that this wave of shame and dirtiness and guilt just washed over me. And she turned around without saying anything and went back upstairs. And I thought, she's going to tell my parents and I'm going to be in trouble. Right? Well, nobody ever said anything to me about that. And that actually is what it, it was part of my family system. We don't talk about the hard things. We don't talk about X, Y, or Z, right? So it's, it's the family system, but then my internal thinking of, oh, I'm in trouble, this is bad. Um, then Satan gets in there and he goes, yeah, it's so bad that they can't talk to you about that. It's, you're so dirty. And then as I'm feeling these ways, I want to escape. And what brings a positive feeling but fantasy, even the masturbation, that, that release. And, and then, but then the guilt and shame follow more heavily. And so this interplay of Satan lying to me and me feeding my flesh instead of walking in the spirit creates this really nasty cycle. Um, that feels impossible to overcome. But that's where one of the first truths I had to grapple with is, is God more powerful than even my brain chemistry, than all my habits, than these desires that I've only fulfilled independently in these ways? And what I, what I can say is he is. And so for 23 years, I've been free of those behaviors and I've walked, you know, I just read in Job, uh, the righteous only become stronger and stronger. What a great verse, right? And uh, I think it's uh, chapter 17, nine. I haven't fully memorized it yet, but what, what a promise. You know, I think one of the first uh, places that, that really stretched me was Matthew 5, 6. The, the one who, blessed are those who seek after righteousness, for they will be filled, right? And I was seeking after sin and the filling of that, and it never fulfills Right, us. absolutely. So anyway, I know that's a lot. No, there, it's, it, I, it's excellent. And there's a couple of things that, that yeah. come to my mind I want to mention. And I love what you're, what you're talking about in terms of how there's certain things that God does for us that we can't do for ourselves, but oftentimes we're trying to do those things and then also trying to make him responsible for the things he's called us yes. to. And I often talk about when I do our full day summits and, and you know, sometimes um, shorter teachings. And when I'm talking about this topic, I also talk about the fact but according to 1 John 1, 7, when, about walking the light, James 5, 16, about confessing our sins to one another, Hebrews 3, about encouraging one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, there's also a role that community plays. There's also a role that others play that God refuses to make up the slack for um, and in most cases, and, and also that he doesn't allow us to get by without. In other words, there's this relationship between me and God, and most of us are more okay with that. But when you, in, when you bring in that third category of community, like, you mean what? I have to, I have to let people see this stuff in my life? I, no, thank you. And I think for many of us, we wrestle sometimes for years, maybe decades over that one issue of refusing to let anybody else into it. And as you were saying earlier, it's not about just 
blabbing to anybody about it. I think nearly all of us have probably had some bad experiences or we've had family members or people we're close to who have had bad experiences with somebody gossiping about stuff that was very personal or not handling it well. And and then we tend to overlay those few experiences onto the broader church community. And we are missing that rich, uh, I often refer to it as the, the one prescription that God gives us for healing, James 5.16, that confession of sin and praying for each other. We, we often miss that one prescription for a long time trying to take anything but that. Yeah. What are you about? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me think of actually John chapter three, and it really is, um, you know, it, it's fear. And as you're yes. talking about that, I was thinking, it's scary to share these things, yes. especially in the early stages when, we, when we're when we not sure. Yes. Who's trustworthy? Are they going to handle it well? Uh, you know, I love... There's a book called The DNA of Relationships for Couples by Smalley and Paul, and they talk about uh, someone is trustworthy when they when they realize how valuable and vulnerable you are and they treat you accordingly. I love that definition of trustworthy. Now, we're also called to be that type of person for others, right? So we can... And we're to require others to be that type of person toward us. And that's where boundaries come in if they're not, right? But, um, you know, Jesus said it, uh, and John records it for us, you know, right after that very famous verse of John three sixteen, he says, you know, in verse 17, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, right? Judged and, and, and put down. And, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. So this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil, right? And so there's the fear of coming into the light. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his work should be exposed, right? But whoever does what's true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, right? And so that's where my faith in Christ, he has paid for my sin, not just my past sin, but today's and on into the future. So I can walk in the light. And honestly, if somebody hears our testimony of, hey, this is where I was walking in sin. This is how I need to be vulnerable and real with, with brothers and sisters today in healthy community. If they condemn us for what's going on inside, I've had to come to the point of saying, I'll let you take that up with God because you disagree with him. I'm gonna take his opinion over yours. I'm not gonna receive your judgment or condemnation of me because that's not what the all-knowing king of the universe says. And so I'm going to walk in the light so that God can show his grace and mercy and power and love and authority Absolutely. in and through my life. Yeah, and, and even it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And in 9 and 10, we read yes. this list of all these things. I, I I sometimes refer to it as the sort of we're all screwed passage because yeah. it pretty much hits on everything, including yeah. homosexuality. But, uh, you know, greed as well as sexual immorality, that kind of thing. But in verse 11, we read the words, such were some of you. But you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been cleansed. And, and so that, I mean, truly, that's what God says about us. And so how can anyone else stand up against that and say something opposite? I mean, they can, but it doesn't hold water with God and it doesn't need to hold water with us either. Another thing that um, I'm struck by when you were sharing your testimony is, I mean, so many things you communicated in terms of feeling dirty and and wanting to isolate and withdraw, not wanting anyone to see the stuff that you're wrestling with, feeling shame toward God. I mean, all of those things you're communicating I certainly felt uh, in in as well. I mean, in the same levels of intensity that you're talking about. And as I listen to you share, like you're dealing with um, uh, heterosexual sexual attraction and pornography. My issue uh, was getting caught up in pornography as well. All the, you know, so many of the same things, but I had more of same sex attraction. But for the longest time, again, I'm saying this really for people that are listening in that may be struggling with something in the LGBT space, but even for those who, who may not, that where it may be it is heterosexual porn or something, but to have an understanding 
I thought I was so uniquely screwed up from the average guy, right? I mean, I thought the levels of shame I was carrying, the levels of sense of dirtiness I was carrying was all about that I was this unique freak dealing with same-sex attraction. And it wasn't until years and years later that I began to understand, oh, wait a minute. I mean, first of all, we're all screwed up. That's the good news and the bad news in a sense. But, but that, that the levels of the intensity and the levels of what you were feeling really wasn't any different than what I was feeling. It was just another way for the enemy to say, you better shut your mouth. Don't let anybody into the space. You're so vile. You're so disgusting. And yet that's a common feeling for, for, for us in, in our sin, in our, especially getting bound up in sin. I think particularly sexual, those are very, those are typical feelings that come out of that, that we all experience. Yeah, absolutely. And that first Corinthians six verse yep. literally starts with do not be deceived. Yes. yes. Right. We don't want to deceive ourselves. Hey, there's still sin that lives in me. Right. That I have to submit to God, resist the devil and take my responsibility to walk and offer my body as, as an instrument yes. of righteousness, not unrighteousness. But, but that deception, I used to think Nobody struggles with this as badly as I do. Nobody is as dirty as I am. You know, this is to a level. And then I had to then I had to come to grips with the reality of wait a second. They didn't build a multi-billion dollar industry on one teenager's, you know, measly, you know, part-time income. Yes, yes. You know, there are other people out there struggling <laughs> a couple, with this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. But just that, again, that work of the enemy to try and convince us to stay isolated. Because when I'm isolated, I'm cut off from sources of health and sources of of power, mainly the Holy Spirit, but also community, which again, I had to learn how to have healthy relationships with men so that I could recognize when I was tending unhealthy, even in my thought or a, a temptation toward a woman. But I'm like, wait a second, that's a different feeling than I have in this healthy defined relationship. And again, I'm talking about the heterosexual attraction, but whoever is listening needs to say, what is the healthiest relationship? How do I multiply those? How, how can I be that, that not just accountable of, oh, hey, I went and messed up this week. No, yep. that's not real no, accountability. But no. This is what's going on inside of me. This is what I'm struggling here's with. Here's my this, heart. Here's that's my it, yep. heart. This is what I need you to help me watch out for. Um, and uh, and walking in that community, then we more easily recognize those relationships where, oh, wait, I'm looking to this relationship not to be in healthy interaction with, but to use toward my own ends. And I need to reject that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, in along that same line, I oftentimes, I, looking back for sure, and, and I can still, I still at times feel this kind of nudge or pull, but I had a lot of emotional dependency on, mm. on certain guys, you know, growing sure. up. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it'd be a mentor, but often it was, it was somebody that I admired that, that, that I perceived had something that I was lacking. And oftentimes it was connected with envy, uh, but it was all, but it was very quickly um, sexualized. But, and even as I pulled, drew, drew back from that and had some real healing in that area, that emotional hook though, um, it could st was still something that I could feel and did feel. And I began to recognize that the unhealthy uh, when I was engaged in uh, or, or moving toward an unhealthy relationship and sometimes it had nothing to do like the other person was fine but it was my dependency that was getting in the way and and the what characterized that was more of this kind of sticky feeling like I I would I would want to be with them inordinately and then when we it wasn't just being able to enjoy them and have fun in an open-handed kind of way and then be away or or fellowship or whatever but then in being away from them I would have that kind of sticky sort of longing to be back together with them. And I that began to show me that, oh wait, you know, 
I wanted to lie and I wanted to deceive myself that, oh, this is a David and Jonathan kind of thing. Mm, no, yeah, this yeah. isn't a David and Jonathan. Yeah. This is a, an emotional enmeshment and uh, an emotional idolatry that, um, and I think in the heterosexual population, that that can, you know, guys can feel that, women can sometimes feel that toward a man, a guy can feel that toward a woman and justify just, oh, this is just a good brother-sister relationship. It's like, no, there's a, there's a sticky emotional component to it that's not healthy, even if it's not cross-sexual boundary lines. Yeah, and we have to, we have to ask the Lord and be in good community yep. to help us recognize what's really going on in right. our heart yep. in that regard, right? Because that's where, that's where the sin starts. You know, and James 1 says, hey, this, these desires, eventually they give birth to what? Death. And, and that's where it's leading. A couple things you said reminded me, like Colossians chapter 2. And I know I was trying to fill this void in my own life through relationships with, with multiple girlfriends. My wife was just teasing me as we were having uh, coffee with another couple about my many girlfriends. Well, why did I have many? Because I was, I was looking for someone to fill me. But the truth is Colossians 2 says, says actually of Christ, it says in him, the fullness of the deity dwelt bodily and in him, you've been made complete or given fullness. So I've been made complete. I don't need someone to complete me. If I'm looking to someone else to complete me, then that's going to be that unhealthy dependence. Here's the other thing that a lot of us, especially in the Western church, don't factor in. We, we look at the, the mental, emotional, relational, even the physical component of what does our, what, what's our brain chemistry and our body chemistry doing to try and pull us into the sin. But what about that spiritual component, that 1 Corinthians 6 passage that we were talking about just a minute ago goes on to say, do not unite yourself with someone outside of the healthy bond of marriage that God designed to be between one man and one woman, right? He says, why? Because you're united to God and one spirit with him. But see that, that spiritual aspect of this bond that God designed in the beginning actually still works and applies when we sin in relationship outside of God's designed purpose for it, but it we just call it, it's bondage. It's no longer a healthy bond, it's bondage. So, you know, in quick summary, Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, don't sin, don't give the devil a place from which to operate in your life. First uh, Peter 5 says, cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you. What's the next verse? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Matthew 18, Jesus says, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, you will be turned over to the torturers. And, and even Legion used that word, Jesus, don't torment us, don't torture us, right? That word in the New Testament denotes spiritual torment, right? Or what we just talked about, sexual sin in 1 Corinthians 6, you know, gives the enemy a place from which to operate. But how many people in our churches deal with uh, anger, anxiety, sexual sin and unforgiveness just right. to name four yeah right exactly but that gives satan an, a real opportunity to operate in the lives of believers and we don't know how to take it back but that's actually what our ministry teaches and and models through the steps to freedom how do i reclaim that surrendered ground so i can walk in freedom and move forward and be the person that God has designed me to be in health. Well, it, when I it, um, when I moved from Chicago, where I was really living out a, a lot of sexual addiction, I had given my life to Christ in my you know a number of years earlier. Went through a failed marriage that only lasted for three years before my my ex wife left, and and then lasted another year, so four years total. Because I wouldn't sign, I, I, I wanted reconciliation. I wanted us to be able to work this thing out, uh, work our marriage out, and and rebuild relationship and but in and the in the failure of that and when the divorce was finally settled regardless of what I wanted um, I I really began to um, allow seeds of bitterness and doubt and anger again toward God resentment that he didn't do more in my eyes to fix our marriage etc and I didn't I didn't weed I didn't do any weeding I didn't go in and pull out those seeds I didn't pull them up when they were little plants and they grew up into these big 
thorns, basically. And I, and in anger and rage and all that, I wound up going back into the LGBT world for a period of time. Now, it was a very different experience because now I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Now I'm not just a religious kid that grew up in church. I am a new creation living like my old self. So there was this misery and this battle that was going on. But my point was that um, when I moved from, and, and so I got involved in a whole bunch of stuff in Chicago. And I moved back to upstate New York because there was a church there that said, literally the pastors, I, I poured out all this stuff that I was doing. And I'm like, there's no way they're going to ever want me to be set foot in this church. But I kept hearing about this church as being a unique kind of place that was dealing, people were getting freed up from adultery, from repenting of sexual sin, uh, getting freed up from substance abuse and things like that in this church. And I thought if there's ever a church, I've been to lots of good churches, but something's different about this one. And and, and I went back and they were using a lot of Neil Anderson's material. They were using the steps of freedom in Christ. And and along with, um, you know, some real spiritual warfare, along with some discipleship counseling, along with steps to freedom in Christ and those things. And then later, um, after experiencing a lot of healing, breaking off patterns of sin and behavior that had just um, dominated my life, then God began to open up the reality that, Gary, you're still carrying a lot of wounds that that you're not living out addictively or you're not living in patterns of sin, but you're carrying some things I still want to free you from more fully. But Neil Anderson's work and, and Freedom uh, freedom in Christ and the, the booklet Steps to Freedom in Christ, those were really pivotal um, beginnings for me to, to break out of patterns of behavior that had just dominated me, ways of thinking that were lies that I had been absolutely convinced of. And I remember one of the things I loved about uh, the steps to freedom is that, you know, it it really gives a framework of of it, it helps us think through in a very systematic kind of way, not not an overly formulaic, but a systematic way, and it and it helps us kind of go back to certain places and events and circumstances. And there's you know there are checklists and things to consider, and it's not again meant to be overly formulaic, but rather to say consider these different um, possibilities of something that might not have even crossed your mind. If you were simply to go into prayer, if you were to simply sit down with a journal alone and kind of think through this, well, yes, the Holy Spirit can and does percolate things to mind, but the steps to freedom, uh, that process really, I think, helps us be much more thorough about, oh, this is where I gave the enemy ground. This is where I agreed with him. This is th These are things generationally that have influenced me. So uh, speak, to the, speak to that a little bit about Steps to Freedom and, and other materials you have that could be helpful. Yeah, essentially, um, the steps cover seven major different areas. One, where have I gone to for guidance other than God? his word and his body uh, that has been offensive to him, right? False guidance. Yes. Um, two is uh, truth versus deception. Three is bitterness versus forgiveness. Four, pride versus humility. Five, rebellion versus submission. Six, habitual sins, including sexual sins. And seven is generational curses. There's some appendices of... Um, uh, you know, fear and anxiety, and uh, a few other a few other things in there, but that's the bulk of it. And in each one of those areas, it does have those checklists where we pray up front to say, "Dear Heavenly Father, would you reveal to my mind the people in this area I need to forgive, the things I've done that have been offensive to you and are hindering my intimacy, the lies I've believed, and then we can replace it with the truth of His of God's word. We we can forgive. He's made it all possible. Um, and it's not a once and done thing and it's not a magic formula, right? One of my first or my favorite lines in the steps to freedom is, uh, the steps do not set you free. Jesus sets you free and you'll progressively experience that as you respond to him in repentance and faith, which again, the steps is a model of how to do that. But it's also not just a, hey, I've done this, I've prayed it, close it, put it away, toss it in the trash. I talked to a woman um, a few years ago at a graduation party and she said, I still have my steps booklet 12 years after Neil came to our church, 12 years after she first went through it. She said, a few times a year, whenever I feel like, hey, there's something off 
in my walk with God, in my relationships, in my emotions, I just go back to that and I just place myself before God using this, this tool that helps me express my heart to him. And he cleans it up every time. And so we actually have uh, hundreds of trained ministry associates around the country. We're in 45 countries around the world. It works everywhere in the world. It's, it's time-tested, it's biblically based. It's actually empirically verified, meaning we have studies showing mental and emotional states improve after our process, right? Anxiety, fear, depression, anger, tormenting thoughts and habits, they're cut in half after going through our process, like, like you were saying. And uh, that's because we're severing some of that spiritual access to the enemy, and we're recognizing lies and choosing to walk in the truth. But uh, so we have people, we have classes that can help others walk through this, though most Christians can walk through it on their own. And it's available, you know, through our bookstore or through any other uh, supplier. Yeah, so great. Well, Dan, thanks so much for being here with us and giving us, you know, your time and also your wisdom and, and being willing to crack open your own story and share so vulnerably. That's what we love here at Love and Truth Network and I yeah. uh, appreciate you being with us. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity. And, you know, just to encourage your listeners, again, I used to hate myself and I hated my experience and the things that that I had done and was exposed to. And I there's no... There's no smoothing over. It was sin. And and it was damaging to me and to others. And that grieves my heart. But the Lord has redeemed that and uses it now for his glory and the good of other people. Yes. And God can do that in your listeners' lives too, as he's done in yours, clearly. So, yeah, thanks for letting me share about my story and about freedom in Christ. Yeah. Uh, we love serving the church yep. and uh, want people to walk in freedom and fruitfulness. Yeah, and I love that last line. I mean, we're all, we are don't want to run parallel to the church. We want to yeah. serve the church. We want to build yeah. up the church and strengthen the church because it's God's plan A for the yeah. world and there is no plan B. So, That's right. Yeah. And we, we want pastors and church leaders to, to experience their people free and able to help fulfill the vision yep. that God has called exactly. them to do. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this podcast for Love and Truth Network. Again, if you joined us through Love and Truth Network or through Transforming Congregations. We're so glad that you're here and we hope that you'll join us in a future podcast. Blessings. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.